Welcome, and thank you so much for joining me on the Stacey on the Right Show podcast. So glad to have with me today a dear friend, someone I've known for literally over a decade, Virginia Cruda. She is the editor of The Daily Wire, which is one of the fastest news organizations growing in America today, and one of our favorites. Thank you so much, Jenny, for joining me. Thank you for having me on. So let's talk about this. You have, first of all, you have a lot of pieces up, but this is one of your latest where you're talking about the Democrat-held House seats that are now rated as toss-ups. You have the number 47 here, which that sounds like my new favorite number. I, I know, and it's it's one of, it's kind of a running joke in our house that it's the most commonly generated random number out there. How many? Oh, 47. You know, it's just one of those, everybody throws out 47. 47. Like, but... But it is funny that it is coming up to this. And it, it's interesting because, not because there are that many seats that look like they might be toss-ups or flips, but the interesting thing is the trend lines if you're watching. So if you watch these polls, and Real Clear Politics has their average, they update every day, and that's where this came from. And they show you the current projected House map and the current projected Senate map. Now, the Senate map doesn't move as much partly because there aren't as many seats up for grabs. Because remember, in every midterm, every two years, every House seat is technically up for grabs. But then they, what they do is they rate it as they consider, okay, this, this seat is already held by a Democrat. They're running for re-election. They're likely to get re-elected because this is their approval rating or this is the margin they got elected by last time and they didn't do anything stupid in the last week or so. They're probably going to get re-elected. So we'll mark that seat as likely Democrat. And they do that for all of them. And so the only ones you're really going to see movement on are the ones that they think are, okay, this is kind of uh, maybe this this particular Democrat said something that was stupid or this Democrat is retiring. So it's a whole new ball game, and you have, a, you know, a, a, a new person running for a Democrat seat is not as powerful, doesn't have as much staying power as an incumbent, obviously. You know, you've got that power that comes with already being in office. Mm-hmm. And the trend lines are showing more seats are moving toward Republican. So they're moving from likely Democrat to leans Democrat, and from leans Democrat to toss-up, and from toss-up to leans Republican, or leans Republican to likely Republican. And it's so it's on this sliding scale but everything seems to be shifting to the right. And you've got at least 47 House seats now that are listed as either toss-up or likely Republican or, or leans Republican. But the interesting part of that is how many of them have moved into those spots recently. And there are a lot. So you're seeing a lot of movement toward the right, which as somebody on the right, you probably appreciate. I do. I seriously appreciate it. Like I'm over here. I'm a little geeked out about it because we I I was hoping that we'd have like a once in a 50 year anomaly, a red tsunami in November. I mean, does this kind of help us get there? Because it's 47 seats. That's a lot. It is a lot. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean, uh, you know, voters have notoriously short memories. They don't remember stuff that happened six months ago, much less longer than that. But you do kind of hope that since the trend is moving that way, can we keep it moving that way? And it's kind of like you you and I are, you know, St. Louis people. So we understand just how easily our sports teams can snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, which we saw that happen just about a week ago with the Cardinals. And you see this, 
you can't peak too soon. And so we really, you just really got to hope that if it's moving in that direction, that it keeps moving in that direction because anything can derail this. Yeah, I mean, you, you've you been in politics long enough to know that anything can turn the voters around or make them say, yeah, nah, it's not worth it for me to go out and vote. And we need people to do that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But I, I saw a story um, over at the Hill where that very thing you're talking about is being discussed. They're talking about Democrats worry they peak too soon ahead of the midterms. <laughs> did they really even have good prospects anyway? Well, no, they did have a couple of big things. Because when, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, you did see a lot of women go out and register to vote. The question is, how many of them will actually go to the ballot box? And how many of them are voting? And what's interesting is that if you look at the stories that came out after that, Roe v. Wade inspires a bunch of women to go uh, register to vote. The assumption that they're making is that they all registered as Democrats. And while it may be partial, you know, there may be a number who, who did, who were inspired by uh, Roe being overturned, I personally know women who are very active in the pro-life fight who were like, well, Roe's never going to be overturned. So why would I, I'm going to fight the culture battle. I don't need to fight the political battle. And they don't even register to vote. So what do you I mean, these people now have hope because they've seen Roe overturned in their lifetime. And they're like, hey, maybe there is something to getting involved in the politics so that I can keep what I want. So the assumption really um, after Rose overturned was that all these women registering for, to vote were Democrats. And I would contest that. I, I don't think that that's accurate. The other thing is that they, they did this, you know, student loan thing, which was targeting younger voters who typically don't vote. And the question is, are they still going to be interested in voting? Are they, you, you know, maybe they were really excited about the student loan thing and, hey, maybe we need to keep Democrats in power so that we can get more free money. But it's not impacting them right now. That's number one. And number two, there's another, you know, three weeks until the election. And if they haven't seen an impact in their pocketbook, they may no longer care. They're typically the least likely to vote anyway, This the age group that he's targeting. And so the question is how many of them and so, so maybe they did peak too soon because if they if the election was held a week or two after you know the student loan forgiveness thing came out or a week or two after Roe v Wade was overturned you probably would have seen a wave of democrats go out and vote because they were mad but now they've had time to think about it and they had time to realize well, I don't need an abortion this week, but I do have to pay for my gas and groceries. And I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to do that. I don't need an abortion this week. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I don't know. I, and I don't I don't know if you've seen this Eric Swalwell's ad. Yeah. That, that just yeah. came out. <laughs> Terrible. No, but but if the podcast listeners didn't hear about it, please tell us about that ad, because I want to make sure they if they okay, did, didn't right. catch it. So. Eric Swalwell released an ad. He uh, debuted it on uh, Joy Reid's show on MSNBC. And it's a family sitting down to dinner, you know, a woman and her husband and their daughter. And then they've got an infant uh, son sitting in the high chair. And they're eating dinner and they're interrupted by a knock at the door and flashing lights outside. And the police have come to arrest this woman because she had an abortion. And oh, by the way, they already arrested her doctor, subpoenaed her med medical records, and they're going to force her to undergo an exam. Because this is what's going to happen if Republicans take control, or that's what he wants you to believe. This dystopian future can only happen if 
Republicans are allowed to make more abortions illegal, right? We, we, who believes this? It's a fantasy. My gosh, that's so unrealistic. Yeah. Well, I said it was liberal fanfic, but at the same same time, (laughs) what they're doing is they're trying to distract you from the fact that Joe Biden's DOJ is literally doing this to pro-life activists as we speak. Like 20, what is it? 22 Mm pro-life activists that have been arrested uh, and and charged at their home yeah. with children present. That's exactly what he's telling you is going to happen to women who've had abortions. And I mean, let's throw out the fact that not one Republican that I know of is actually advocating for this to happen. They're not going, we need to arrest women who've had abortions. No, we need to love women who have had abortions because chances are they felt like they didn't believe, they felt like they didn't have a choice. Whether or not that was true, that is maybe what they felt like when they made this decision. So we need to love them, but it doesn't mean we can't say that abortion is still wrong. And also make provisions for us to, you know, change right. the, the atmosphere around it so people don't feel as trapped because they don't have abortions when they know that they have a support system, you know, outside of family, outside of the right, traditional. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that's an example of what they're going to peddle in between now. Yeah. And the, but do you see them having a real ability to turn things around for themselves. And, and I'm asking that because we have seen Democrats snatch victory from the jaws of defeat and vice versa. You just described it. It's almost, it's an, it's annoying. It's enough to drive you crazy. <laughs> well, it, it really depends on whether or not they can come up with a cohesive message because realistically, they don't have a strong economy to run on. I mean, there there really is nothing. I mean, they can say, well, we uh, their signature legislation is the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't actually reduce inflation. And even if it did, hasn't done so yet. And so the you always have to go back to James Carville and it's the economy, stupid, because that's where we are. It's like I said before, you know, the the average woman, whether she's worried about abortion rights or not, she's definitely worried about whether or not she can afford to feed her kids this week. So it's really going to come down to has Joe Biden and the rest of his, his administration done a good enough job convincing people that Vladimir Putin is the evil face behind the high gas prices? I'm going to say the answer is no, but <laughs> <laughs> I hope not because, you know, he's taking credit for the gas when it drops like four or five cents at a time. But when it spikes a dollar fifty, clearly that's Putin's fault. Like I have no control over it until it goes down, and then I'm responsible for all of the gains we've made. Yeah, that double standard is another one that I don't think flies with with the American people. Just me. Well, I, I again, I hope not. You know, I think I, I think there is a certain audience that it does fly with, and they may be the people who want to believe it more than the people who actually do believe it. But then the question is, do the people who believe it? Are they going to vote? And if so, how how does that translate? We've got, what, three weeks left, and then we'll see. But I really do hope that people are paying attention because we are looking at some serious extremes. We're, we're looking at Democrats who are actually coming out and saying that it's bad to tell teachers they can't teach gender, radical gender theory to kids under the age of eight. Yeah, it's it's disgusting, actually. 
So remember when it was all about how we couldn't, you're not allowed to read from the Bible, you're not allowed to do things like that. Don't say God at school, don't pray, don't don't read your Bible. Now we've gotten to a place where they're literally talking about homosexuality all the time. Yeah, yeah. More, they're spending more time learning pronouns than, (laughs) well, there are more pronouns now, so they have to spend more time (laughs) learning them, I guess. I don't know. So we're talking about the midterm, but we're also talking about a sentiment in America that is something that is undeniable, and that is that even Democrats feel the party has become too extreme and it's gone too far. Well, yeah, um, Tulsi Gabbard just left the party. And let's not sugarcoat this. There are a lot of people who are saying that she's saying some really great things and maybe she's really a conservative. Tulsi Gabbard is not a conservative. Let's just throw that out right now. Tulsi Gabbard left the DNC so that she could support Bernie Sanders in his 2016 presidential run. Yeah, so she's not, she's not conservative. Anything, she's for, no, no. But I do think she's sane. So, you know, let's take that for what it was. I appreciate her willingness to have a conversation, because if you look at most most Democrats right now, if you look at the the official party position, if you look at the way they've run the House and the Senate over the last two years, or even even if you go back into the Trump administration, when they had majorities, their goal is to shut down the opposition, not to debate the opposition. So you look at people like Tulsi Gabbard, who love to debate the opposition. They want to have the conversation. They want to, because they know that progress is somewhere in the middle. It's not this party gets their way and then two years from now the other party gets their way and it's just this insane tug of war forever. You don't actually make progress unless you're able to talk to each other. And Tulsi Gabbard gets that. You look at even, um, you know, you, you wouldn't think this would come from Jerry Nadler in New York City, but there's a book coming out um, about the impeachment, the first impeachment over the Ukraine call, where Nadler was actually the voice of reason, arguing with Pelosi and with Adam Schiff, saying, hey, this impeachment is not going to go well if we don't let the White House defend themselves. Like, if we put this on as like a one-sided dog and pony show, which they did, because they stepped on him and, and just did what they wanted to do, we're going to have a credibility problem. He warned them from the beginning, and he was right. But you see that more and more from Democrats is the way to move forward is to make sure the other side doesn't get to talk. And you see that you see that in media. You see that on social media. It's, it's why cancel culture is such a big thing. And you see a few Democrats coming out and saying, hey, eh, this isn't a good idea because this is going to come back and bite us. Uh, Barack Obama said it on the Pod Save America podcast last week. I almost passed out when I heard it. Yeah. I was like, listen to him sounding like a regular person. <laughs> they have to let go of the cancel culture because you can't. People, pe- I, uh, I heard somebody else talk about it uh, earlier this weekend. I, I can't remember who it was, but Americans love a good redemption story. And if you eliminate the possibility of redemption, which is what cancel culture does, then you can't. No one can come back from it, and eventually people are going to realize if there are sins that no one can come back from, (laughs) eventually I'm probably going to be guilty of one of them. And you see that with uh, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. You see that uh, Herschel Walker and and the whole scandal with did he pay for an abortion or didn't he? And is that enough to disqualify him, him from office? Well, this happened in 2009, and if you look at his platform now, we're talking 13 years later, 
is he not allowed to evolve? Because I know Democrats do. You know, can he have an opinion now that he didn't have 13 years ago? Can he be in a different position now than he was 13 years ago? Because it seems like there is no sin, however old, that Republicans are allowed to be redeemed after. And Democrats apparently only commit sins to prove that redemption is possible. That's the only way that you can look at the way media covers this, because you look at Raphael Warnock and the media doesn't care that he gets, you know, $7,000 a month plus in a housing allowance from, from his, the church that he, he works at, right? And that same church is evicting people from low-income housing for $28 in back rent. That's amazing. Like, can we not have a conversation about that? They're not. Well, but when it was brought up, they kind of just sloughed it off. They were like, you know, well, did you hear Herschel Walker paid some lady to have an abortion? Okay. You know, and the best part is that that Raphael Warnock was criticizing Republicans who didn't want the uh, rent and mortgage moratorium during the pandemic while his church was working to evict these people. So this was all happening during the pandemic while he was talking about how bad it was to not forgive people for back rent. Like, can we not have a conversation about that? Because this just happened. This is still happening. There are still lawsuits ongoing from this. And again, like I said, Herschel Walker, this happened 13 years ago. Now, does that make it less wrong? No. But is he allowed to be redeemed and evolve if he has truly changed? And like, I don't understand... Uh, Well, I do understand it's intentional. You can't be redeemed if you're on the wrong side of history, as they would put it. It is interesting, though, that this keeps coming up. And it doesn't matter what the hypocrisy is on the left. The hypocrisy on the right is always what's going to get splashed across the media. But, you know, we're used to that, right? (laughs) We are. It's been the story of our lives since day one. So, you know, I I think... (sighs) There is a way to make the point, and I think Herschel Walker did it in the debate the other night when he just really, he tore into Warnock on the issues and he didn't get distracted by the insults. Even the moderator said, oh, you're carrying a prop and he just kept on holding it up. I guess he was like, it's real, it's here, you, you know, let the voters decide what, what, what it is. It worked. It really worked for him. Yeah, that, that is helpful. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot uh, similar stuff from... Uh from J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan in Ohio, because Tim Ryan, it seems like his only response is to call J.D. Vance a racist. Like, that's the only thing he's got. Now, you don't see quite as much of that between Warnock and Herschel Walker, because it's very difficult to have a black man standing looking at a black man and call each other racist. It just doesn't fly as well when you're when you're talking when you're talking to minority populations. It just it just doesn't. I'm sure that you know that. Yeah, it well, it doesn't. It they'll still say it, and they have said it about Herschel, but they're much more focused on his his um, you know quote unquote sins. But what I think is right. funny about that is. The thing that you describe when you say, you know, everybody wants, loves a redemption story, everybody kind of wants the opportunity to be redeemed, it really is an instance of people saying to themselves, I've made mistakes too. So they don't love the mistakes. That's not it. It's not about them loving it. It's just about them saying, I don't think I'm going to, you know, persecute this person for that because it's something that is far enough in their past. And they've seen enough cancel culture to know that it's really not worth it. 
it doesn't make sense to voters. It doesn't make sense to them. Right. Yeah, that that is um, kind of what I was getting at. It's not that they're like, okay, well, it's okay that he may have done this thing. It's that, well, if we can't forgive him for something that he did 13 years ago, especially if he has turned over a new leaf or has, has changed the way he thinks, or then who else can't we forgive? And, you know, not one of us is blameless. And so eventually it's going to come down to there's going to be something in my past that comes back to bite me. And I would like to have that same grace extended to me. Well, my thing with all of this is we have, you know, I know people have been saying it, but we have a country to save. And the idea that we're still at this place kind of arguing over these smaller issues like the, the, you know, Warnock's marriage, Herschel's, you know, previous girlfriends Mm -hmm. and baby mamas. And when the kids are getting top horn, um, I, you know, it's almost too much to bear. It's almost too much. You know, it's it's like, you just can't make this stuff up. I'm right there with you. You can't, it, it, it is scary that, you know, it used to be that you knew when your kids were at school, you knew what they were doing, you knew what they were learning, you knew generally what was being talked about. And you knew that, you know, there was probably some kid that you didn't want your kid hanging out with because they were going to tell them something that you didn't want them to bring home. Or there's always the chance that they're going to, but but the danger was always from like other kids. It was never from the teachers when we were younger. And now it seems like it's the opposite. Yeah, the teachers are definitely not the same. <laughs> no. These are not the teachers you it's and not I the had. Ones on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. That's scary to me. As we close out here, what should we be looking at? What should we be looking for? You know, news media is going to have stories for us that they want us to pay attention to. But there are actually real stories, real things that we should be focused on. Um, I, all, all politics are local. That's, that's what I would say. It's, you know, people, people tend to not go out as in, in as high numbers for midterms unless they're really, really angry about something. And there, I think that there is something to be angry about at every election, and that is that the people in power on the national level have already done everything they can to solidify their own power because they don't want you to have local power. Okay, and this this goes for both parties to a degree. So you need to get out and vote because you need to know your local issues because everything is downstream from that. You're going to start with your local because your local people, um, your state reps, your your state senators, they have more control over your day-to-day life than, say, the people in Washington. And I can give you a perfect example of that. I live in the state of Illinois. We were locked down before the state of Missouri was. We were locked down longer than the state of Missouri was. We were wearing masks longer than the state of Missouri was. And it didn't matter what Washington said. J.B. Pritzker was going to make us do what he was going to make us do. Local has more control over your day-to-day life. And so if you, you know, you need to make sure that you get out and, and vote in your in your local elections. But you know, obviously worry about the national stuff, too, because who controls the Senate, who controls the House, that is ultimately going to impact you, but it's secondary to who controls your state house and who controls your uh, governor's mansion and who controls your state Senate, because those guys are the ones making the laws that are going to impact you every day. They're going to impact your kids in school. And if you don't stop it there, 
the power is going to go to the federal government and they're going to do things that you can't fight back against as easily. And that's a great way to close it out. I, I, I hope people are paying attention. There's a lot to laugh at. There's a lot to enjoy, but there's also an amazing amount of just uh, craziness going on. One way to stay informed is to go to dailywire.com. Dailywire.com. Virginia's article is in linked in the show notes. It's uh, called 47 Democrat Household Seats Now Rated as Toss-Ups or Flips in Republicans' Favor. Thanks so much, friend. It was great to talk to you. You too. Thank you. All right. Have a wonderful afternoon. And we'll have more fresh content for you over at Family Vision Media. God bless. See you next time.